Today in Canadian History for June 29th, I'm Mark Affeld. Queen Elizabeth II arrived in Toronto on this day back in 1959. While in Toronto, she attended the 99th annual running of the Queen's Plate. 1959 was also the inaugural year of the Canadian Triple Crown, which consists of the Queen's Plate, the Prince of Wales, and the Breeders' Stakes. The history of horse racing in Canada dates back to, well, let's just say that as long as Canadians had both horses and money, there was horse racing. By the middle of the 20th century, Canadian thoroughbred racing began somewhat of a golden era, due in large part to the efforts of a Canadian breeder by the name of E.P. Taylor. To learn more, I spoke with Lewis Cause, the managing director of the Horse Racing Hall of Fame, located at the Woodbine Racetrack in Toronto. What was it about this period after the Second World War that led to such a, a, an upswing in Canadian horse racing? Canadian horse racing following the war, um, it was on a gradual improve. And, of course, the uh, influence of E.P. Taylor in taking over the Ontario Jockey Club and closing all the small tracks and instead of you racing, say, two weeks at Hamilton or two weeks in Fort Erie or at Dufferin or Thorncliffe and so on, he was able to get all those dates and build a, a mega a racetrack at Woodbine, which opened in 1956. And that uh, that alerted, or that, the, the, they called it the Giants of the North, Woodbine. And Americans were were really impressed by this magnificent racetrack, uh, which in a year later would include uh, the Marshall Turf Course. So you had uh, all this concentrated, and, and they had uh, this beautiful racetrack with a turf course and uh, a mile uh, dirt course. And um, E.P. Taylor's influence in breeding, of course, he um, was starting to breed some of the best horses in the world. Mm -hmm. And um, that um, started uh, really the horse racing, starting to upgrade the quality of horse racing. And then in 1960, um, the first Canadian horse uh, to ever finishing the top three at, in the Kentucky Derby uh, was Victoria Park. And uh, Victoria Park came back two weeks later uh, in the Preakness and finished second. And the way he was running, it looked like a mile and a, and a half in the Belmont would be perfect for Victoria Park. But uh, E.P. Taylor was more determined to um, showcase Canadian breeding and he wanted to show off Victoria Park in the Queen's Plate at home. So he brought him home. And, of course, Victoria Park won easily. And that, uh, the interest in Canadian breeding was starting to take hold now, and especially uh, two years later when uh, Northern Dancer went on sale as a yearling in 62. And um, as you say, that's, the, uh, that's how the our... Breeding and horse racing in Canada uh, really took hold. And there's one other event that took place mm -hmm. just after the war. What well, happened really in 1944? Um, up until 1944, you had to be um, uh, you had to be a British subject uh, to run in the Queen's Plate. You are at that time it was a King's Plate because King George VI was still on the throne. 
However, um, people from Quebec or, or Manitoba or British Columbia, they could not run a horse because that horse had not been foaled in Ontario. Hmm. Finally, they, they, they took down that restriction and the race became open to all Canadians. Obviously, I'm Northern Dancer. The horse Northern Dancer's name gets thrown around a lot as the, uh, the greatest Canadian horse of all time. I'm wondering, what exactly was the legacy of Northern Dancer? You ask if, if whether um, uh, E.P. Taylor and Northern Dancer's influence is still around here in 2011. Well, in this year's Kentucky Derby, uh, 19 horses went to the post. 18 were descendants of Northern Dancer. I mean, that's the type of influence um, he had globally. I mean, I, I was in Paris one year for the Arc de Triomphe at Longchamp, and all 20 horses that raced that day were descendants of Northern Dancer. So uh, the Northern Dancer influence will continue uh, for many decades to come. Today is a day full of Canadian history. Arthur Meaghan became Prime Minister for the second time on this day back in 1929 as a result of the fallout over the King-Bing constitutional crisis. Canada's deadliest train wreck occurred on this day back in 1864 when a Grand Trunk railway train full of passengers fell into the Richelieu River near Saint-Hilaire, Quebec. And as always, we aired this episode of Today in Canadian History. Today in Canadian History is produced by CGSW 90.9 FM. The executive producers are Joe Burma and Mark Affeld. Original music is produced by the Fisk, Fletcher and May Trio. Our series is not meant to be a definitive source on our past. Instead, we hope that it sparks a desire to learn more about our unique history. For more information on the series or to recommend an event or moment, check out our website at cgsw.com slash today in Canadian history. Once again, it's Canadian quiz time. Can you name the shortest serving Prime Minister of Canada? Was it Joe Clark, Kim Campbell, John Turner, or Sir Charles Tupper? Well, actually I listed the last four shortest serving Canadian Prime Ministers, meaning the shortest serving Prime Minister was Sir Charles Tupper, who was only in office for 68 days. (laughs) 